European Heart Journal, Issue at a Glance, Volume 43, Issue 11. Focus Issue, COVID-19, by Editor-in-Chief Professor Filippo Crea, read to you by Morgan Bryan. European Society of Cardiology Guidance for the Management of Cardiovascular Disease During the Pandemic and a Focus on Long COVID. The Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome Coronavirus 2, or SARS-CoV-2, causing coronavirus disease 2019, or COVID-19, reached pandemic levels in March 2020 and has led to repeated waves of outbreaks across the globe. COVID-19 shares many manifestations of a systemic disease and has major implications for the cardiovascular, or CV, system. This focus issue on COVID-19 opens with two guidance documents produced by the Task Force for the Management of COVID-19 of the European Society of Cardiology. The aim of this two-part series is to provide practical knowledge and guidance to aid clinicians in the diagnosis and management of cardiovascular disease, or CVD, in association with COVID-19. The authors point out that they have reviewed the available evidence and have organised the resulting information into two parts. The first focuses on the epidemiology, pathophysiology and diagnosis of CV conditions that may be manifest in patients with COVID-19. The second part addresses the topic of care pathways, treatment and follow-up of CV conditions in patients with COVID-19. The task force concludes that these documents provide a summary of current knowledge and guidance to practicing clinicians managing patients with CVD and COVID-19. The recommendations are mainly the results of observations and personal experience from healthcare providers. Therefore, the information provided may be subject to change with increasing knowledge, evidence from prospective studies and changes in the pandemic. Likewise, the guidance provided in the document should not interfere with the recommendations provided by local and national healthcare authorities. Patients with cardiac disease are considered at high risk for poor outcomes following hospitalisation with COVID-19. In a clinical research article entitled Clinical Presentation, Disease Course and Outcome of COVID-19 in Hospitalised Patients with and Without Pre-Existing Cardiac Disease cohort study across 18 countries. The Capacity COVID Collaborative Consortium and LAOS study group point out that the primary aim of their study was to evaluate heterogeneity in associations between various heart disease subtypes and in-hospital mortality. The authors used data from the Capacity COVID Registry and LAOS study. Multivariable Poisson regression models were fitted to assess the association between different types of pre-existing heart disease and in-hospital mortality. A total of 16,511 patients with COVID-19 were included, 21% aged 66 to 75 years, 40.2% female, and 31% had a history of heart disease. Patients with heart disease were older, predominantly male, and often had other comorbid conditions when compared with those without. Mortality was higher in patients with cardiac disease, 30% versus 16%. However, following multivariable adjustment, this difference was not significant. Adjusted risk ratio, or ARR, 1.08, P equaling 0.12, corrected for multiple testing. 
associations with in-hospital mortality by heart disease subtypes differed considerably, with the strongest association for heart failure, ARR 1.19, 95% confidence interval 1.10 to 1.30, P being less than 0.018, particularly for severe, New York Heart Association Class 3 stroke 4 heart failure, ARR 1.41, 95% confidence interval 1.20 to 1.64, P being less than 0.018. None of the other heart disease subtypes, including ischemic heart disease, remain significant after multivariable adjustment. The authors conclude that considerable heterogeneity exists in the strength of association between heart disease subtypes and in-hospital mortality. Of all patients with heart disease, those with heart failure are at greatest risk of death when hospitalised with COVID-19. The contribution is accompanied by an editorial by Charlotte Manesty from the University College London in the UK and colleagues. Manesty et al. conclude that first, there are several considerations left to be answered in future studies. Despite collaborations between LAOS and Capacity COVID, the combined dataset lacks sufficient power to draw conclusions on the interaction of age in the association between COVID-19 and CVD. Second, while ethnicity is known to be relevant to SARS-CoV-2 infection, the demographic of this current cohort is narrow, 84.5% white, with no adjustment for ethnicity in multivariable models. Third, the scope of this study is relatively narrow, with focus on in-hospital survival status and CV complications following severe COVID-19. Understanding the effect of both severe and, the more prevalent, community COVID-19 on late CV complications and overall functional recovery requires further investigation, which will demand careful data collection across both hospital and primary care data. Recently, resources linking individual person-level data across healthcare settings have been developed to address this issue. The results, which will be emerging over the coming months, are likely to improve our understanding of this complex interrelationship. Currently, however, the authors are to be congratulated for coordinating data from so many centres over 18 countries during a pandemic. Their study serves to emphasise the strength of scientific collaboration across Europe and beyond, and has highlighted that a one-size-fits-all approach to patients with CVD in the pandemic may no longer be appropriate. Long-term sequelae may occur after SARS-CoV-2 infection. In a clinical research article entitled Multi-Organ Assessment in Mainly Non-Hospitalised Individuals After SARS-CoV-2 Infection, the Hamburg City Health Study COVID Programme, Alina Larissa Peterson and colleagues from the University Heart and Vascular Centre in Hamburg, Germany, comprehensively assessed organ-specific functions in individuals after mild to moderate SARS-CoV-2 infection compared with controls from the general population. 443 mainly non-hospitalised individuals were examined a median of 9.6 months after the first SARS-CoV-2 test and matched for age, sex and education with 1,328 controls from a population-based German cohort. The authors assessed pulmonary, cardiac, vascular, renal and neurological status in positive SARS-CoV-2 patients versus controls. 
Odiplethysmography documented mildly lower total lung volume, adjusted P equaling 0.014, and higher specific airway resistance, adjusted P equaling 0.001, after SARS-CoV-2 infection. Cardiac assessment reveals slightly lower measures of left and right ventricular function, adjusted P equaling 0.015, and higher concentrations of troponin and N-terminal probrain natriuretic peptide, adjusted P being less than or equal to 0.01 in post-SARS-CoV-2 patients, but no significant differences in cardiac magnetic resonance imaging findings. Sonographically non-compressible femoral veins, suggesting deep vein thrombosis, were substantially more frequent after SARS-CoV-2 infection, adjusted P being less than 0.001. Glomerular filtration rate, adjusted P equaling 0.019, was lower after SARS-CoV-2 infection. Relative brain volume, prevalence of cerebral microbleeds, and infarct residuals were similar in patients and controls, while the mean cortical thickness was higher in post-SARS-CoV-2 cases. Cognitive function was not impaired. Peterson et al. conclude that subjects who apparently recovered from mild to moderate SARS-CoV-2 infection showed subclinical signs of multiple organs being affected related to pulmonary, cardiac, thrombotic and renal function without signs of structural brain damage or neurocognitive impairment. The contribution is accompanied by an editorial by Colin Berry from the University of Glasgow and Hannah Bayes from the Glasgow Royal Infirmary in the UK. Berry and Bayes note that the investigators have exploited the opportunity presented by the Hamburg City Health Study and that they are to be congratulated for the scale and quality of their work. The strengths include the requirement for positive SARS-CoV-2 virology results as an inclusion criteria. The second attribute is the comprehensive multi-system evaluations that were enabled by the pre-existing framework of the Hamburg City Health Study. A further strength is the scale of the study, including a comparatively large number of individuals post-COVID-19, 93% of whom were not hospitalised, and an even larger number of controls who had been enrolled before the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic. The prioritised focus on non-hospitalised individuals provides an important community context. This is relevant because the illness trajectory of COVID-19 differs markedly in hospitalised versus non-hospitalised patients. From a practical perspective, screening of individuals with pre-existing health conditions who have survived COVID-19 may be warranted, especially if symptoms persist or recur. This could be undertaken as part of their standard care. The severity of myocardial tissue damage following ST-elevation myocardial infarction, or STEMI, strongly determines short- and long-term prognosis. In a clinical research article entitled Impact of COVID-19 Pandemic Restrictions on ST-elevation myocardial infarction, a cardiac magnetic resonance imaging study, Ivan Legner and colleagues from the Medical University of Innsbruck in Austria explored the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic and associated public health restrictions on infarct severity. STEMI patients treated with primary percutaneous coronary intervention, or PCI, and included in the prospective magnetic resonance imaging in acute ST elevation myocardial infarction, or MARINA STEMI cohort study, 
from 2015 to 2020, n equaling 474, were categorised according to 1. Timeframes with and without major public health restrictions in 2020 and 2. Timeframes of major public health restrictions during 2020 and during the corresponding timeframes between 2015 and 2019. Myocardial damage was evaluated by cardiac magnetic resonance imaging. During major public health restrictions in 2020, there was an increase in infarct size, 22% versus 14%, P being less than 0.01, a higher frequency, 77% versus 52%, P being less than 0.01, and larger extent of microvascular obstruction, 1.5% versus 0.2%, being less than 0.01, and a higher rate of intramyocardial hemorrhage, 56% versus 34%, P equaling 0.02, as compared with the phases without major restrictions in 2020. These findings were confirmed in adjusted analysis and were consistent when comparing patients admitted in 2020 versus patients admitted in the pre-pandemic era, 2015 to 2019. Patient characteristics were comparable between groups, except for a significantly longer total ischemia time, P being less than 0.01, and higher frequency of pre-PCI thrombolysis in myocardial infarction, or TIMI flow, during times of major restrictions, P equaling 0.03. Legner and colleagues conclude that their study provides novel mechanistic insights demonstrating a significant increase in myocardial damage in STEMI patients admitted during the COVID-19 pandemic with a temporal relationship to major public health restrictions. The article is accompanied by an editorial by Timothy Henry and Dean Keriakis from the Christ Hospital in Cincinnati, Ohio, USA. The authors conclude that the inescapable conclusion is that, although the disease caused by SARS-CoV-2 infection is bad, Governmental and health system responses to the virus may have a deleterious impact on CB care as well. Remediation of this pandemic response will require both public education and assurances of safety from SARS-CoV-2 infection during treatment for CV emergencies, as well as a potential moderation of hospital visiting policies to include at least one essential family member. Indeed, there is evidence that certain regions recovered faster than others, using community education campaigns and focused standardised protocols for STEMI. Through coordinated focus on both pre-hospital and hospital phases of emergency cardiac care, we can prevent the back-to-the-future return of adverse outcomes, considered rare in the modern era of timely reperfusion. In a state-of-the-art review article entitled Long COVID Stroke Post-Acute Sequelae of COVID-19 with a Cardiovascular Focus, Betty Rahman and colleagues from the University of Oxford in the UK note that long COVID and post-acute sequelae of COVID-19, or PASC, a condition characterised by the persistence of COVID-19 symptoms beyond four weeks, is anticipated to substantially alter the lives of millions of people globally. Cardiopulmonary symptoms include chest pains, shortness of breath, fatigue, and autonomic manifestations such as postural orthostatic tachycardia are common and associated with significant disability, heightened anxiety, and public awareness. 
A range of CV abnormalities has been reported among patients beyond the acute phase and include myocardial inflammation, myocardial infarction, right ventricular dysfunction and arrhythmias. Pathophysiological mechanisms for delayed complications are still poorly understood, with a dissociation between ongoing symptoms and objective measures of cardiopulmonary health. COVID-19 is anticipated to alter the long-term trajectory of many chronic cardiac diseases, which are abundant in those at risk of severe disease. In this review, the authors discuss the definition of long COVID and its epidemiology, with an emphasis on cardiopulmonary symptoms. They further review the pathophysiological mechanisms underlying acute and chronic CV injury, the range of post-acute cardiovascular sequelae, and impact of COVID-19 on multi-organ health. Raman and colleagues propose a possible model for referral of post-COVID-19 patients to cardiac services and discuss future directions including research priorities and clinical trials that are currently underway to evaluate the efficacy of treatment strategies for long COVID and associated cardiovascular sequelae. The issue is also complemented by two discussion forum contributions. In a commentary entitled, An Attempt to Reconcile the Contrasting Results of Analyses on Implantable Cardioverter Defibrillator Shocks During the Pandemic, Dale Chuik Adabag and colleagues from the University of Minnesota in the USA comment on the recent publication, Ventricular Arrhythmia Burden During the Coronavirus Disease 2019 or COVID 19 Pandemic, by Catherine O'Shea from the University of Adelaide in Australia and colleagues. O'Shea et al. respond in a separate comment. The editors hope that this issue of the European Heart Journal will be of interest to its listeners.